welcome everybody to episode 208 of the Metavilas 2 podcast. Uh, I am Ben. And I am David. And happy Father's Day, Ben. Oh, a very Merry Father's Day to you too, David. Thank you. Uh, this is this marks our sixth anniversary of podcasting since we oh. kicked it off six years ago on Father's Day. Did we? It was Father's Day as well. Yeah. How, how fantastic. Goodness. <laughs> All right. Glad you've got those statistics at your fingertips. Yeah, I, well, I, I kind of haven't. Being on a holiday makes it easy to remember. That's true. That is true. That is true. Um, so um, what topic are we going to be regaling our listener with today? Well, coincidentally enough, we're going to talk about fathers in Doctor Who. Really? That is a massive coincidence. <laughs> How else did that happen? I it just the, the planets aligned. I think they did. All, yeah. you know, yeah. Mars, yeah. Jupiter, so Saturn, Neptune, Uranus. Yeah. Even yep. Pluto. Pluto, yeah, yeah. The the exoplanet, all, all whatever the it's called planets, nowadays. Yeah. All yep. lined. Fantastic. So fathers, <laughs> fathers, fathers and Doctor Who. I mean are we are we doing this chronologically or how, how do you I think let's uh just pick and poke because there's a as I was thinking about, there's a lot of fathers in Doctor Who and some are good fathers and some are really not so good fathers. Really not so good fathers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um well, the first the first father that came to my mind was, of course, the father who has an episode that's named after him. <laughs> named after him. Um, so uh, hang on, and I've forgotten his name. Pete. Uh, Pete Tyler. Pete, fathers, Pete Tyler. Yeah. Father's Day. Yeah. There you go. Well, this kind of kicks off, I think, the whole interest in uh, 21st century who and fathers. Rose's character is really, uh, Rose and Jackie, in fact, are really defined in many ways by Pete's death. And then what better way to go than go back and witness Pete's death and the circumstances surrounding it. And I think it also provides a really strong performance from Eccleston, too, as the doctor. I, yeah. I, I think it's a really good story that Paul Cornell put together. I like it, and I like how they deal with the issues of fatherhood and seeing your child as an adult, but then knowing you're not going to watch her grow up. Yeah, and it's nice that they. Um, I mean, obviously, Paul Cornell is a is is not only a kind of diehard senior fan, but also still a very active fan, um, even twenty or so years, you know, fifteen or so years later mm-hmm. from that show. And I, I think it's nice that they felt able to kind of stretch. The format a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in the to, to benefit the storytelling, which to me, just as kind of a sidebar, has got nothing to do with fathers, really. You right. know, it really talks about the strength of the show as a whole. It really doesn't feel it needs to be continuity heavy at all. Mm-hmm. In that, obviously, you know, we've, we've we've never seen the Reapers ever again, um, <laughs> and there doesn't seem to be a lot of trouble in kind of doing this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Certainly during the Moffat era. So uh, it's just it's just good to see that you know the doctor can kind of do that, um, and no one really minds. Mm-hmm. You know, it enhances the story and you know gives depth to the characters in a way that only you know a sci-fi show can do, mm-hmm. and is very successful. I think I also enjoy that story. Do you think uh, the Reapers were necessary? I, th- I I wonder if that was just a early rtdism where every story needs to have a monster because this is doctor who no they're absolutely not necessary and yes i agree with you they do they do kind of smell a little bit of like oh we where's where's the monster in this Mm -hmm. um when the real monster 
is time itself. Ah, or you think so? Or I, 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 I don't know. Okay, okay, I was thinking that <laughs> just with the way that Eccleston's stupid apes speech at the beginning, when Rose kind of manipulates him to go back to see her father and mother's wedding, knowing that that's the day that Pete Tyler died and that she's going to try to save him. And is is it Rose who's being the monster, or just the fact that uh, it's a, it's I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, is is there really a monster other than just the natural desire to kind of save your dad? Yeah, I mean, I think the monster here, which is what makes it kind of you know a tale that's full of pathos, and as again, as I alluded to jokingly a few, a few, a few uh, about a minute ago, is the fact that it happens, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you do try and do something about it, it really doesn't work. So you know, you have to be as a as a human that who is necessarily based in time you know things move forward in time they don't move backwards um you can't change what's happened you can only change what's going to happen that's what traps us and that is how we live and where we live mm-hmm. what i meant when the time is the real monster here is that you know yeah you okay yeah you can't change stuff mm-hmm. so we live a life of fixed points <laughs> we live we live a life of fixed points which you know doctor who doesn't really kind of conform to that pattern any you particularly consistently <laughs> no not at all but it is a uh, it's a you know it's a nice point to make right. especially you know based around the idea of family so mm-hmm. yeah works nicely do you think it's the role of fathers in doctor who to die I, the reason why i think that is i'm i'm looking back at kind of the classic doctors and uh, the 20th century doctors and the fathers that appeared in those stories. And you have like Tremass, who the master kills and steals his body. And Victoria's father, Waterfield, Edward Waterfield, who dies and sacrifices himself, I, I guess, to save the doctor. It, or even going like with uh, Lila's father in the very first scenes in The Face of Evil, where Lila won't face the test of the Horda and her father steps in and says, silence, daughter, I will do this. And he promptly dies. It just seems like <laughs> fathers in Doctor Who uh, early on, even even with Pete Tyler, their role is a lot of times just to die <laughs> or get killed. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think in general in kind of genre fiction, um, which I, you know, I, I think, I think we can count Doctor Who as being that. Fathers are there not are, are present to be not present mm-hmm. and mothers are there to be over nurturing and slash evil. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a quick and easy way to establish the psychology of your protagonist by, you know, presenting them with, uh, particular familial challenges and mm-hmm. the challenge of the father is that they're dead mm-hmm. or have died um, or you have to avenge them in some way because they've gone away uh, in a horrible way and etc 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 I mean I think it's not really surprising that that's that that's how fathers fathers behave yeah, yeah in, in fiction in general and a kind of classic hue in general um, one father that immediately sprang to my mind when I was thinking about this from classic who is Professor Watson Ah. in um, Hand of Fear, who weirdly and completely out of genre character phones his family <laughs> before he thinks he's going to die. Right. And, you know, there's a there's a you know, there's 20, 30 seconds worth of really quite intense um, realist 
if you can call you know dying yeah, in yeah. an exploding nuclear reactor which has been taken over by an alien intelligence um realist dialogue about a man saying goodbye um, a father saying goodbye to his family mm-hmm. and that's really quite unusual because it's not particularly genre at all um as i said it's sort of you know almost almost realist and that's actually that's the that's the father that really sprang out to me oh, really? um, when i was when when I, when I was thinking about this mm-hmm uh, the first father I thought of was, we've already talked about, Pete Tyler, who is uh, weaves himself all through RTD's uh, um, storytelling with Rose, that when someone thinks of fathers in Doctor Who, that's the one that leaps out because Pete Tyler, both uh, Parallel Universe Pete Tyler and uh, our universe Pete Tyler, proved to be such a catalyst for Rose's actions and her future and past behaviors. It seems like fathers have a more character slash plot development role um, than they do than in in previous previous stories. Like the when, she, when you mentioned Dr. Watson, it's not a primary character. It's a guest cast. Right. And like you said, it's it's very unusual. It's it's more of a BBC Dramatics rather than uh, a, a genre uh, family program on Saturday right. tea time. Right, right, right. Which again, sort of, you know, kind of sort of makes it stand out, makes it seem different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other father that 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 kind of leapt out to me. So we've got Pete Tyler, Professor Watts. I mean, there's like a bunch of others, but you know. When I was thinking about this, was the father in Idiot's Lantern? Oh yeah, Eddie um, Connolly. Eddie Connolly, who is, um, uh, I think he's a bit much, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of he's kind of such an obvious evil father, mm-hmm. um, whose job it is is to motivate the child to be the thing that the child is. But you know, there you go. That's a that's another kind of fatherly role um, to be kind of mean and abusive so that the character is able to kind of do the things that they have to do. Yeah, in the in second series, we have two of those fathers. We have Eddie Connolly, who's uh, it's a Mark Gatiss creation, and it, I think, implied that Tommy Connolly is gay. Yep. And that his father has issues with that and is just really an abusive man. And the problem with that story at the end is Rose encouraging Tommy to go after his father after he's been kicked out of the house and go carry his suitcase for him, which is really, it's, it's, I've, I've read and listened to others talk about this and it's, it's really problematic from you don't go and rescue your abuser. I don't know if it's a failed piece of drama because I can't speak from a gay man's perspective, but it it seems very problematic to um, certain individuals. And that whole character, Eddie Connolly, seems to be either over the top or to the point of non-redemptive to this kind of tacked on, maybe misapplied, uh, go on, he's your father speech at the end that Rose gives Tommy. Yeah, he's so extreme, really, that to me, he kind of flips over to the to the level of kind of camp. Um, he's just a, he's such an extreme character that it's almost, you know, he's almost in drag or something. Um, it's mm. like, wow, okay, uh, yeah, that's, I, I guess that's, that's the kind of father that could really happen. So yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's not particular not a particularly effective figure for me, um, father-wise. I mean, he's very... Effective in the drama, but he, he's not—he's not very believable. He's—he's a, he's a little over, too over the top. But then, oh yeah, 
completely. Yeah. In in that same season, we get the an absentee uh, deceased father. I think the father, Chloe Weber's father, is deceased, and he was an abusive father. And so it's almost a contrast with the Pete Tyler and parallel Pete Tyler that's going to come at the end of the season, uh, rescuing Rose out of nowhere in Doomsday from these two. Uh, um, well. Eddie Connolly and then uh, the father in Fear Her is just a monster. It's a child's drawing, a da- his daughter's drawing, uh, writ large with a deep booming voice and is scary and whatnot. So it's kind of a problematic series two fathers. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough not to have had a particularly abusive father. So again, it's kind of hard for me mm-hmm. to, um, to, to see whether, um, these to particular depictions of fathers are particularly accurate, or whether they are, you know, as I said, kind of uh, what I find them, which is camp, which is which is so extreme that they become ridiculous. Right. Um, they they have no nuance, and I guess in fear her, you know, the the evil fatherhood is kind of ramped up to such an extent that um, you know the father is literally the that is the monster in the cupboard. Yeah, is the in the wardrobe is mm-hmm. is the father thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fathers. Because another father story that Mark Gatiss wrote, because he wrote Idiot's Lantern, and he also wrote Night's Terror, which is, again, about a father. And this time, it's, I think, a, a better depiction of a father, the father being Alex, and but they have kind of a, a cuckoo child. I guess he's an alien. Uh, right. Who's from my notes? He's Tenza. What? What? We've it's one and only experience with Tenza, as far as I know. But he. Right. Right. George, the son, is having trouble uh, fitting in. He's sensing uh, discomfort from his adoptive parents because he just appeared and became the child that they always wanted that they couldn't. And he's George is having these nightmares, which is the whole story around it. But it's a, a father's love and acceptance of his son who isn't, in this case, human and isn't right. quite normal that saves the day and this is going to be a theme that's going to run from this point forward in doctor who where a father's love saves the day and we we see it also with mother's love in uh the doctor the widow of the wardrobe etc but this is i think if memory serves the first time it's the father's love that goes and saves the day yeah i mean is that do you think um is is do you think this is the difference between moffat and um and davis well, it's it's the same author though that we have uh, with yeah, Mark so. Gaeta. Yeah. So mm, uh, I don't know how heavily RTD edited Gaeta's writing. I don't think Moffat did much with it because Gaeta's would always write these standalone. Oh, you can put them anywhere type stories. And Night Terrors was supposed to come in the first part of the series, but then they flipped it in the back, and it didn't didn't work quite as well dropping due to the whole Amy Pond pregnancy, and I guess that would make Rory <laughs> Rory's Rivers' father. Uh, right. So th- there's another you know secret father, but we really don't see Rory being a father right, in the program. Right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it seems. To, I mean, this, I guess this is true of all of Moffat, really, where. And I, you know, I guess I'm just repeating what my my kind of view is of my difference between David and Moffat is is that yeah, I mean, we can start to think about okay, Rory is the father of River, and you know, how does that work? 
basically these kind of family relationships become kind of crossword puzzles um, <laughs> rather than kind of emotional things. And I think that's, again, for me, that's the difference between Moffat and, and Davies. Yeah. Davies is always about, okay, what is the emotion of this? Whereas Moffat is, you know, how can I make this clever? And the fact that Rory is the father of someone who is a lot older than him right. is not really explored in a kind of emotional way. It's just explored in a kind of tricksy, I'm going to say it, timey-wimey way. Mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that Moffat really didn't know that Rory and Amy were the parents of River at the time that River was created in silence in the library. I think that was uh, added on for the second series. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I mean, his I think, second I, series. Yeah, I think it's absolutely 100% clear that in the best will in the world, Moffat is making it up as he goes along. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what he likes to do. You know, I think he, I think he in some ways sort of enjoys the challenge of writing himself into a particular you know narrative or thematic corner and then kind of writing himself out of it in mm-hmm. a in a particularly clever way or in some instances uh, and i think particularly for me the kind of old crack thing in a kind of just hand wavy way and say okay this is it's just not it's that's not the thing that it was it's something else now yeah so i think he could have hit the emotional beats or i delved better into the fathership of rory uh, rory's fathership of river if he had set out to tell that story, but since it is kind of the jigsaw puzzle, oh, I've created a piece here. Now, how can I link it to the next piece? Or, right. And to make a big picture, that there's not that connective tissue that what you have from the get go of Rose and Pete Tyler, which again, RTD is trying to make it up as he goes along, but he, I think he has a more emotional vision on how these uh, impacts the character and like you said i'm gonna, just gonna repeat back what you said it, he's he's more compared about the emotional level of that story than the timey wimey connectivity how the jigsaw puzzle of of it right 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 exactly exactly I mean, that's and that's just the difference between the way that they write. Um, and I think, you know, both of those approaches or the way that they show run. I mean, both of those approaches have their issues. Um, I think we've talked about the RT, I, you know, be feeling that some of the fathers in RTD's tenure were so extreme that they became camp and unbelievable. I mean, del- almost deliberately so. And with with Moffat that the interest in familial relationships was really to do with how to make them complicated and interesting rather than make them realistic. Mm-hmm. So I, know I think both of those approaches actually end up with... with, with um, I mean, both of those approaches to kind of fathers serve the overall thematic thrust of their tenures, which is, as mm-hmm. again, going to repeat myself again and again, um, with Davis's It's Emotion and with Moffat It's Cleverness. Mm-hmm. I, I guess for me, my favorite father did appear, though, in the Moffat era, which is Brian Williams, which is Rory's dad. Oh, yeah, and I forgot about him. Right. I like the pairing between Rory and his father, Brian, I think that worked really well. I think Amy's uh, relationship with her father-in-law was uh, <laughs> was funny and uh, well-written, too. And that was what gave me a lot of hope about Chris Chibnall's uh, writing uh, coming in as showrunner is the creation of Brian Williams and how he worked that into the story and just uh, um, 
what I found disappointing about Chibnall's father and absentee father, like with uh, Aaron, Ryan's dad in Resolution, it was somehow missing. It seemed more perfunctory, if that's the right word for it, more artificial than the relationship between Rory and Brian, right. uh, son and father. Yeah, I mean, I think your inconsistency is the hallmark of Chibnall, I'm afraid we've, we've discovered. Is there is there any... There are there any fathers in the Jody era? I'm trying to remember some fathers. Um, well, it's Aaron. Ryan's father is the main one. Oh, God, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was, just, I was, I was talk, yeah, talking yeah. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. it's kind right. of wandering on. And then it takes you away. We have Eric and with Hannah and the, his uh, blind daughter and just how crap father Eric was. And I'm still kind of upset with the resolution where it's really in a child abusive relationship uh, with this... Uh, uh, solo track universe that Eric leaves his daughter for and terrorizes her to stay in the house because he wants to spend time with um, his frog wife uh, that <laughs> that uh, at the end once the the solo track universe contracts or closes that the doctor just leaves Hannah and her father there and that struck me as a it still strikes me as a bad bad resolution to uh, that parenting situation yeah and you know and again i mean i think both of us have kind of well certainly i have i know you have as well we have kind of a downer relationship with the with the with the chibnall the chibnall era and Mm -hmm. uh uh you know yes and again as you as you set out that davies's emotion and moffat is cleverness chibnall is kind of that'll do um (laughs) To be honest, um, it's okay. That's good enough for this story. Let's move on to the next one. So, yeah. So I, yeah. again, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not finding a lot of interest in kind of talking about kind of character in the Chibnall era because I don't really think the, the the any of the characters are particularly well defined hmm. or do much. So then, with Brian Williams, who first appears in Dinosaurs on the Spaceship, with written by Chris Chibnall and then Chris Chibnall also wrote PS which was the postscript for uh Rory and Amy leaving in Angels Take Manhattan I think mm-hmm. or something 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 along those lines that there was an emotional beat with the uh just with the relationship with Rory and his dad and then with their stepson coming back to see Brian Williams where his stepson was named in part after Brian and delivering a message that was never filmed. It was just a a storyboarded, but it gave me a lot of hope then because we thought, or I, at least I thought, and I think I said this at the time when Chibnall was announced the showrunner that we'd see more of a return of uh, relationships uh, more like a, a Davis style writing, and I, I'm not sure we saw that, and I, I don't know what happened. I just I wonder if uh, being the parent of a show like Doctor Who, a father of D- Doctor Who for a few years, was just too much for Chibnall. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're getting slightly off topic in terms of yeah. fathers here, but I mean, I think I think Chibnall is a he's a he's a writer of individual stories. And I don't think what he's particularly interested in uh, slash good at is people over time. So uh, I, it, it felt to me really that kind of each episode of the Chibnall era was kind of written as an episode, uh, an individual story of a, of a mm-hmm. you know, kind of a portmanteau 
series mm-hmm. where each story is its own drama and then trying to link those together he kind of really struggled at uh, he really struggled you know as the showrunner it was sort of his his role to make sure that the stories all fitted together and made a larger story i don't think he was able to do that yeah, yeah. well enough of chibnall okay. enough of chibnall here's okay here's another classic era father for you um the third doctor and joe grant oh i guess in a way it's a fatherly relationship. And I think, you know, the famous, justifiably famous um, ending scenes of Green Death, where Joe goes off with a, a, a doctor analog um, and marries him <laughs> rather yeah. than is his daughter, is very, as I said, justifiably famous. Mm-hmm. And I think that the sadness that the doctor feels when he sees Joe going and the sadness that the show demonstrates to us the doctor feels is the sadness of a, you know, of a, of, of a father in some way losing his daughter. I guess it's a more of a refinement than of the grandfather-granddaughter relationship that we have with the Hartnell doctor and Susie Who. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, if, we, if, we, if we want to extend our discussion about Father's Day to Grandfather's Day, yeah, I mean, that is a, um, uh, I think that relationship refers back to kind of earlier kinds of fiction where, where you can't have, you know, the, an older man traveling with a younger mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. The relationship has to be a family relationship because the, the relationship can't in any way be implied to be some kind of, um, you know, partner partnership right. relationship. Right. Um, so, so Susan has to be the doctor's granddaughter because a she's too young to be his daughter and b she can't be his girlfriend mm-hmm. so what other relationship is it um and again i mean think if you look at look at a lot of kind of you know genre fiction that the writers of of of, of who at that time were brought up on and you know knew well you know the, there's people always you know it's like batman and his ward right um you know, um, um, Robin, uh, you know, it's, it's always kind of nieces and nephews and people are uncles and grandfathers and granddaughters, et cetera, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. Yeah, so again, it's kind of interesting that the kind of inconsistency or continuity problems that Susan throws up by being the doctor's granddaughter, i.e. the daughter of the doctor's son or the doctor's daughter, mm-hmm. There you go. There's um, uh, so the doctor must have had a sexual relationship with someone at some point, mm-hmm. and continues to feel some kind of affection for the product of that relationship, etc., etc., etc. Again, you know, it's a beautiful example about how whose continuity is kind of fertile and changeable right. rather than set and boring like Star Trek. Now, my wife asked me when I said we're going to talk about this, and she says, "Oh, well." Uh, in a related way, do you think that uh, River is Susan's grandmother? And I know that's mother's rather than father. And I'm just going, mm, no. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, and again, you know, I think Big Finish, of course, have made hay from what happened to Susan. What's, right. Where is Susan? What's Susan doing? How is, you know, Susan gets abandoned by her grandfather on you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, <laughs> that sound, doesn't sound like a very grandfatherly thing to do. Um, you know, does Susan regenerate? Does, does right. do we meet, do, do we meet so Susan later on? If she's some, if she's a, she's a time lady, then obviously she does regenerate in some way. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, again, this is what's so good about Doctor Who. You don't have to have all these problems solved for them to be good problems. 
So going back to what you mentioned with Joe Grant and the Pertwee Doctor, do you think that was Barry Letts and Terrence Dix's uh, writing instruction to the writers to write this as a father-daughter relationship? Or do you think that's something that uh, the characters, uh, John Pertwee and Katie Manning, kind of grew just to their offset uh, relationship because it was more of a nurturing uh, role model relationship. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think actually, you know, those final scenes are kind of organic um, mm-hmm. and not not really based on the written word, but they're based on the directing and they're based on the acting. Um, so no, I think to me, they're absolutely the, the product of those two actors mm-hmm. um, and the director of that particular story. I think it does flow then though from how the at least how katie manning was being written as joe grant especially like with curse of peladon where she is more interested in finding someone to go off with that was a fit in i think of king peladon who wasn't doctory enough but then when she finds cliff in the green death he is doctory enough and he's going to have adventures and he's more of her age so does seem like towards the end, maybe not at the beginning of Joe's introduction in Terra the Autons, that that was the kind of what they were looking for, but does make really uh, character arc sense that Joe would go off with her version of the Doctor. M- much better than Rose going off with uh, the handy Doctor literal clone. <laughs> yeah, which is which is you know which is which is which is I guess weird and science fictiony. Whereas I think you know the Joe doctor relationship is actually kind of sweet and realistic and sort of human. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not weird that a daughter who has immense affection for her father and that being affection, not not a sexual uh, relationship, obviously, right. but just a, a relationship of love and respect and comfort would seek out a, a you know a, a partner who has those similar um, those similar attributes. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, you know, it is really uh, noticeable, obviously more so now that fans have kind of poured over the story for years. But I think it was <laughs> noticeable at the time, even, that Cliff was basically, you know, the Doctor. Yeah. Um, even down to a vague physical resemblance. Um, and of course, you know, it helps there that the actor that Joe, um, uh, the Katie Manning and um, the, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Um, Cliff um, were in a relationship at the time anyway. Were they? I think they were. Weren't they? I, I, was it afterwards? I, I don't know. I, yeah. Stuart Bevan is the actor. I did not know that they were... Oh, no, yes. Stuart, 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 Stuart Bevan and Katie Manning were an item. Oh. That's... Um, uh, you've now cast doubt on my... No, I, uh, I just did not know. I mean, he was a pretty uh, sharp-looking dude there in the 70s. <laughs> he was a very sharp-looking dude there in the 70s. So, um, I, I am not, not surprised. But, uh, uh, here you go. Sorry, uh, Wikipedia, which is always ah, correct. Okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> um, prior to filming Doctor Who, Bevan became engaged to Katie Manning, and they stayed together for two years, ah, okay. from 1974 to 1976, reflecting the plot of their joint appearance in Doctor Who, which Manning's character left the series to marry Bevan's character. Ah, well, so both on and off-screen chemistry and... Like yeah, most yeah. most uh, relation or many relationships in the business, it, it didn't last very long. Didn't last long, but I think you know. I think I think it was it was uh, again. I'm only judging by kind of social media. When when Bevan died recently, Katie Manning was very you know effusive and 
loving in her in her you know, on on social media in terms of her kind of tributes to him. So they obviously mm-hmm. retained a lot of affection for each other. Yeah, and but also Katie Manning is such a loving person. In true. Her. Yes, that is also true. It's, <laughs> so it is in character for. Uh, yeah, she doesn't appear to her. have the ability to dislike anybody, um, which is which is which one is of the things nice. that makes her awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we we have the literal doctor's daughter in the tenant era in the story, the doctor daughter, where the doctor's daughter, Georgia Moffat, plays the doctor's uh, clone daughter. <laughs> and also then at some point, weirdly in the future, also becomes the doctor's wife. Hmm, um, which is another story. Which is a whole other story, <laughs> uh, which is another story. So um, <laughs> Talk about uh, problematic relationships. Oh there. yeah, you want to talk about you know life reflecting on art reflecting yeah. life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean she's she's just like a clone though, right? Yeah, I think they they uh, shove them in. If memory serves, shove them in a machine, uh, take some DNA, and boom, out comes Georgia Moffat with "Hello, Dad." Yeah, which is <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, no, it's a good one. It's not my favorite to be honest um, of the of the Tenet era, but there you go. It's one of those kind of weirdly kind of orphan stories that no one really talks about that much it is an orphan story and i think it's interesting that stephen moffat asked rtd not to kill off georgia moffat at the end not to have the clone die and just go off in her own spaceship because i think uh, moffat was going to use the doctor's daughter later in his storytelling but he never did so uh which would is typical well it's just would have been uh uh, another thread to sew in uh i just think he lost interest in it because he came up with river maybe i i'm not sure that's true yeah yeah river yeah no river is a yeah it's a more kind of cell-phoned creation Mm -hmm. uh i mean big finish have done the doctor they've done stuff with uh, georgina moffat right yeah, as the Doctor's daughter. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, as, it's, as, a, it's a whole spin-off series. Character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As 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 that character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the character's name was Jenny, right? If memory. Jenny. Jenny. Jenny who? Jenny who? <laughs> Susie who and Jenny who? <laughs> Susie who and Jenny who? Yeah, probably her name was was yeah her name was definitely Jenny. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And so I guess Big Finnet. Have you listened to any of those Doctor Daughter series? Oh God, no! I I, <laughs> I, 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 I was actually just reading the most recent issue of Doctor Who magazine with the one with with, with Scooty on the cover, and yeah. I actually it's like, wow, I actually enjoy this magazine right now. I'm enjoying reading it, which I haven't done for a while, to be honest. Um, but I came to the the whole kind of oh, what's coming next from Big Finish, and I was like, oh God, I don't know anymore. What is all this? Right. Um, there's so much Big Finish. One person cannot know it all, and I, yeah, I, I still enjoy learning what they're up to, but I can't. It's too much. Yeah, it's almost a job in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick sidebar here. Cool. About Scooty Gatwa on the cover of Doctor Who magazine. I was a little bit surprised to not see the headline, Scooty Gatwa is the Doctor. And instead, it is, who is Scooty Gatwa? And is this intentional, or do you, am I reading yes. too much into it? It's absolutely intentional. Um, a, because... The Doctor Who magazine is pretty, you know, it's continuity heavy with itself, and there's no way that they wouldn't put Scooty Gadwa is the Doctor on the front if working closely with RTD, RTD had told them not to or right. asked them to, to, to call him something else. I think it's absolutely intentional, and I think it is a another, you know, RTD style clue to what's going to be happening in the 
opening episode of Scooty's era. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Of which there have been so many both on-set spoilers um, and also RTD release spoilers that, again, I'm, I'm sort of um, feeling a level of excitement and interest about the show that I've sadly not felt for the past four or five years or so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, yeah. that just struck me as uh, Sidebar. Uh, non-continuous from a continuity-heavy magazine. So Yes, that, exactly. That was uh, exactly. Uh, a, a bit surprising. Uh, back to Fathers. We, to, uh, we, we, meanwhile, yes. with fathers, <laughs> uh, James Corden, Craig Owens, and the father of Stormageddon, a.k.a. Elfie. Uh, <laughs> this is another father's love story saves the day. Uh, this is Gareth Roberts' crack at depicting a father <laughs> relationship and uh, right, working right. in uh, uh, the gay dad uh, uh, jokes, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that again, this is also a sort of a weirdly orphan story because A, Gareth Roberts has become persona non grata yeah. um, for relatively understandable reasons. I mean, I always thought he was kind of a dick, to be honest, um, just from his political stance. Mm. He's pretty much a Tory. Um, so anyway, I mean, I don't really care that much that Gareth Roberts has kind of gone from who mm-hmm. um but also i mean james corden is is apparently disliked by everybody i've, I've never seen his talk show mm-hmm. but he really doesn't seem to be someone that anyone enjoys the company of so um i think he's very popular in the states it's the brits that seem to have great issue with james corden we don't like people okay. who <laughs> gone over to america and become successful we think okay. we feel them to to have sold out and are mm. performative in their Englishness rather than genuine real people. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I've never watched his chat show. Um, I never... The only thing I know about James Corden is Doctor Who, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, it's the same here. That's all yeah, I've seen so, him in. I know he's, he's a comedian. And he's fine. I mean, he's, he's typical Moffat fair and he's kind of mumbly. And also, I think, you know, one of the basic tropes of dadness, which I think, you know, is, is relatively fair, to be honest. One of the basic tropes of dadness in the Moffat era is that we're idiots. Um, <laughs> well, we are. You know, which we, we are. It's you know, documented. Again, you to, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in general, in kind of popular culture, you know, dads are fools. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Moffat really leans into that in a way that's not particularly creative, but certainly acceptable. Yeah. And this, yeah. this story is how the dad is trying to become the dad that his son looks up to because uh, that's why Elfie likes to be called Stormageddon because he doesn't have any respect for his dad and it isn't until his dad is nearly converted into a Cyberman and uh, sh- does an emotional short circuit of cyber technology because of his love for his child that the day is saved I guess that's yeah. that that's what uh, makes certain fans go grr I guess I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a it's meant to be a light comedic episode, much like the Lodger, the the Craig or Craig Owen, uh, the Craig Craig yeah, Craig Owens, uh, I would say trilogy, but there wasn't a third one. So the the right. uh, it's that maybe that's why it's uh, overlooked sometimes because it seems like with this you would have three stories with Craig Owens, right? But but no. No, no, there's no, there is no third, there is no kind of finishing, what's the word, kind of, you know, kappa to his story, yeah. so fine. Yeah. yeah, and I think Smith and uh, Corden do really well in this uh, story, and as they did with The Lodgers, so I, I like, 
the pairing, I find it watchable, a very watchable story, and has a lot of laughs. And I think the the comedy that uh, Gareth Roberts does, for the most part, is pretty good. I think uh, only his, well, it's well, his final story, which was the caretaker, was a little heavy-handed with Danny Pink and the doc, right. doctor hate of uh, Danny Pink or dislike right, of right. Danny Pink, but. Uh, I'm not sure the issue of fatherhood, other than the same uh, issue that we have of ex- uh, well, it's not the, it's not the issue of fatherhood. The same resolution of love that we see in Night Terrors that solves the day is being reused. That's a little uh, cliche at this point in Doctor Who, but I'm not sure we had a story where the baby needs to look up to his father to be be accepting before. That's a, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> the baby son needs to respect his the baby father. Must respect um, the father, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's that's a that's a stretching of a genre. I mean, other. I mean, again, you know, I I think obviously, you know, we could go through story by story, like father, the father, yeah. father's. You know, another kind of father thing for who I mean, both classic who, well, actually, mainly in classic who, because I think when new who has done this, it's been thinking about classic who, is the is the creator. Mm. And there are a lot of those in who, obviously, I mean, the main one that one thinks of is Davros mm. um, as you know the father of the Daleks. Um, and yeah. and again, you know, I think we've we've already talked about how the you know the design of Davros, which is a mirror of the design of the Daleks, makes you know the the Daleks are obviously his offspring mm-hmm. um, and are based on him um, in a way that a you know a child is is looks like its father um, or mother. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and again, you know, we've got Loomis, whatever he's called. Lumic. Yeah, Lumic. You know, as a, the father of the Cybermen. And uh, for, uh, you know, there are other, you know, the whole kind of, you know, creators throughout the show. Yeah. So with Davros, do I think of him as a father figure? I mean, certainly well, not I, a father I, I, figure, creator, as as you said, yeah. This may be in the comic strip or in the Virgin you know, Adventures, but I think Davros is he, he's called you know, well, the Daleks are called the children of Davros, ah. which you know implies that he's their father right, and son. Right, right, so, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a, he's a bad dad. Well, he's a no. He's, well, <laughs> is, is he? A, is, well, I don't. Know, is he a bad dad? I mean, he's effectively. Well, uh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, he makes them what they are. Um, I mean, could he have made them in a way that would made them different and better? I mean, he's an effective dad. Yeah. Not a good dad. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, mm. yeah. Well, I mean. Mm. <laughs> if... <laughs> uh, mm. So, uh, yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, he's a. Yeah. OK, so hang on. I've just looked, at, looked it up on the Internet. The Children of Davros, a short history of the Dalek race, was a chronicle of Dalek history written by Nergi Degui in Swahili. Um, which was uh, part of the introduction, uh, part of the the enhancement, the novelization of Remembrance of the Daleks. So it's a Ben Aronovich ah, um, enhancement, uh-huh. basically. Um, so certainly from a Ben Aronovich's Aron- Aron- uh, yeah, perspective, yes, yeah. Davros is the father of the Daleks. So then if we are going for creators, we have uh, Kettlewell and uh, the K1 robot in Robot. Hundred percent, yeah. Which, which we have the was it the Oedipus complex, which really sets off the K one robot. Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that yeah, yeah? No, and again, I mean, not a very good father. 
Uh, yeah, he got uh, mixed up in fascism and killed, ultimately, yeah. which led to the death of his uh, robot son. His robot son. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, creators, uh, we've got we've got old um, uh, 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 Professor ah! Marius. No. Oh, I was, oh, I was I was going to go Mahendri Solon. Oh, <laughs> who has a? Uh, I mean, Kondo is weirdly like his. Like idiot son, an idiot. Is you think so? I, it's not just doing the, the, the. I mean, the yeah, I mean, it's, it's doing trope the Frankenstein. of the henchman. Yeah, it's Frankenstein and Igor. Yeah, um, but is Morbius his son or his father? Ooh, ooh, who knows? Mm, uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he is. Maybe he and the sisterhood of Karn hooked up. Who knows? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more? Any more we can think of? Yeah. If we go look at the f- failed launch of the Paul McGann Doctor series, the 1996 TV movie, I believe reading that Paul McGann, this doctor, was going to search the universe for his father, Ulysses. His father, Ulysses. Yes, that was the original kind of pitch document. Um, yeah. Which- you know, I'm so glad that didn't happen. Cause that's, oh, really? You don't don't like the idea of the Doctor having a father? Um, I don't like the idea of the Doctor having a father that he had to search for, and that father is called Ulysses. Because hmm. um, I think Ulysses is like it's it's not a space name; it's a it's an actual character in a in an old poem name. So that doesn't make sense. Hmm. And I don't know, searching the universe for your father—it's way too Star Wars for me, I'm afraid. And I I don't like Star Wars. Yeah, I think that's the the heavy influence that, okay, we have kind of the retcon of Dark Vader being Luke and Leah's father. So, okay, we're trying to relaunch Doctor Who. Let's uh, have Doctor Who deal with father issues. Yeah, and, you know, I think the problem with searching for someone is that eventually you have to find them. Yeah. And when you find them, what happens to the story then? Sadly, at this point, because there's so much of it, rather cursory knowledge of kind of genre fiction as a whole that is always kind of completely deadly um because like oh the story's ended now because he's found the thing he's looking for um mm-hmm. now what happens so it's, I, I, I just think it's daft and it's as i said it's star warsy and it's kind of you know it's hollywood archy and um not really what i look for when i think about doctor Who. It's certainly not what you would be looking for genre fiction. And I think when you do try to find, address parenthood issues of the doctor, you get the same kind of problems where you get, like, say, with uh, the timeless children issue. It's sort of like we really are going in a direction that maybe not serves the character or the franchise very effectively. No, no, because it's an endpoint, and once you once you have an endpoint, then where do you go after that? You know, it's a mm-hmm. conclusion, um, so, and a conclusion is not a beginning. It's as the name implies, it's an end. So I'll take issue with the idea that Ulysses, though the name isn't sci-fi enough, because when I was growing up, there was a uh, magazine, an astronomy magazine, a science magazine called Odyssey, and they had a little robot in there named Ulysses who explored the universe because it was Odyssey magazine. And why, why wouldn't you have a robot named Ulysses? So I have always, uh, that was my first encounter with <laughs> the name Ulysses. So it's always been a sci-fi name oh, okay. for, for me. I did, obviously didn't have the same uh, 
classical uh, upbringing education <laughs> that you did. <laughs> so, Fair. Any, um, but I was always intrigued, I guess, by the idea that the doctor would be searching for Ulysses. It, it certainly, I think if we had gone that way, there'd be a stronger, I think, well, in my opinion, each doctor has its own era, and there's not extensive continuity between one doctor's era to the next, and even within one showrunner's era to the next, if you look at Tom Baker's doctor. And where I'm going with this is I think you'd have a very strong argument that the McGann doctor was distinct and separate, but yet still one man many faces or one person many faces yeah, yeah type yeah. thing i i think they're all separate shows as much as we fans like trying to say no it's one continuous arc uh from 1963 to today yeah and i, I mean you know, it's I, 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 the whole kind of search of something is like well what happens when oh god i hate that show what's that show called um quantum leap you know what's happened what happens when sam thingy does get back to his own time or something and the show's over Mm-hmm. Yeah, what happens when you know Rogue Trooper finds the eventually finds the Traitor General? The show's over. What happens when the crew of the Liberator finally find Blake? The show's over. Right. Um, I think it's silly mm-hmm. and it's obvious, and I don't like it. Um, and certainly, if if Ulysses was a little robot in a magazine, then that also that <laughs> obviously makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if, if, with the show being over, if the show effectively could have been over with uh, after the chase when Barbara and Ian returned to London. True, that is true. Or when the main actor decided he didn't want to do it anymore, um, uh, or or it was decided for him. Or I it was think, decided for him. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, the great thing about Doctor is the show's never over. And mm-hmm. yeah, I suppose what would have been interesting, and maybe we're getting way off topic here. You know, if the if if McGann, the McGann Doctor had found his father Ulysses then that would be an excuse for the show to go in another weird direction. Yeah. Because that's what well, the show does. That's why we like it. That's what the show does, yeah. 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 So fatherhood, I think... Uh, um, oh, there's there's one... F- I have, I'm have. i just looking at Scanning Over My Notes, and there's one father, and it's uh, uh, Debbie Watling's Jack Watling himself. Uh, we had oh, a, an actual had that big, father. Yeah. Actual father playing in the same story with his daughter, uh, <laughs> Uh, with Professor Travers and Ann Travers playing another father, or another father uh, than Victoria's father, so it, it's it was that on-screen relationship that we get to finally see now in the Web of Fear is interesting, and then the stories that Fraser tells about how those two behaved on set together and the little. Uh, anecdote the story that Fraser always tells which hasn't held up over time of how they had uh, uh, women's undergarments uh, in the uh, instead of uh, Victoria dropping the uh, handkerchief in the tunnels it was her uh, knickers in the tunnels and then and then uh, the doctor and Jamie saying yes we'd recognize these anywhere and hearing Jack going what 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 and so it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting to have your dad on the set. I think is where I'm going with this. Yeah, and I think it's it's not particularly obvious, which is nice because they're both professional actors. Yeah, and the show doesn't make a thing of it. Um, I mean, but I think it's nice that there's a you know there's a kind of a you know a company of actors who feel really comfortable with each other. Some of whom are related to each other. And we have another um, in the Impossible Astronaut with Canton Delaware and. We have the father's son, and we actually uh, have the shepherds uh, 
father's son. Oh, yeah. Oh, being playing with Mark Shepard and then uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I can't remember his father's name off the top of my head. But Mark Shepard and his dad played both versions of Canton, Delaware in the story, Old Canton and Young Canton. And that's another... It's it's not a father son relationship, but it's it's a father son casting, which is uh, quite effective for uh, showing how, like we you, you mentioned earlier, there's some familiar similarity between them, and that makes sense. Uh, just how Mark Shepard would look as a, as an old man. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's sensible casting. If you have yeah, you know, if you have a father son. Both, if both father and son can act, then they can mm-hmm. play the same person. Um, mm-hmm. And for a timey wimey show, very very helpful. Um, to conclude, what do you think of the actors, uh, the the male actors who have played the Doctor, being kind of a father figure for fans? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, I think the way the Doctor behaves and the way that we like that figure though of course right now it's more of a mother figure you know the doctor is a parent the doctor cares and solves problems that we can't solve ourselves um and you know, said cares about us so yeah no mm-hmm. I, I, that's there's there's something there i mean i would i wouldn't wouldn't push it too far no i don't think he would but i think as a role model as a male role model um for the most part the doctor it's a pretty good example to follow. Um, he does care, and he does care about the people that he has traveling with him, and I think that's pushed more, uh, more, more, more maybe in the Moffat era, especially with Peter Capaldi's Doctor with the duty, responsibility, duty of care, um, where he's looking, looking out for people, and that's what kind of broke him mainly due to clara and then bill but for the most part i think the doctor in many ways he is kind of a father type figure and he can be a prickly father when you have someone like adric or he can be more of a mentor i I don't know what kind of how you defined him with uh joe grant uh it because he's he's pretty hard on her at times like in the demons, but then at other times he's really quite um, comforting and consoling like in the time monster, which is quite fatherly. You know, we can mistakenly be quite hard on our kids. Um, mm, true. Um, but then, you know, we are then also, we love them very much and we're sad when we see them go, but not so sad that we're going to make a stupid fuss about it. Cause we know they have to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Fathers. We rule. Yeah. <laughs> We, we try. We try, we try to do our best. We, we, we try our best. We, we try our best. Every day is a, another chance to exceed your expectations or screw up wildly, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. You never know what their kids are going to throw at you that day. Exactly. We certainly don't. Certainly don't. Well, I think that's that, that puts a pretty tidy bow on it for fathers in Doctor Who. If there's uh, been a father that we missed, uh, it wasn't intentional. These are just the ones that sprung to mind. These are the fathers. Yes, this is not, this is not an exhaustive um, of all the fathers. Um, but most of the I think we've covered most of the fathers. I'm pretty pleased with our, with our attempt. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. And like all fathers, this podcast has been adequate. <laughs> Mostly harmless, let's hope. Mostly mostly harmless, <laughs> exactly. That's it, that's it. All right, well, thank you for listening to episode 208 
of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been reflecting on fatherhood and Doctor Who with Ben. And I have been reflecting on Doctor Who and fatherhood with David. And until next time, farewell. What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Has he taken any time to show show you what you need to live? Tell it to me slowly. Well, you know how it is. Daddy knows best. <laughs>